Hello and welcome to a new edition of the Villain Podcast and a new edition to the offering, Stats Corner, with myself, Josh Henwood, and Stephen Hickenbotham from Villa Analytics. How are you, Stephen? I'm alright, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Back home from work on a Tuesday, the England on the telly in a bit. Can't yeah. be too bad. Hopefully seeing Tyrone Mings. Hopefully seeing Tyrone Mings, yeah. Um, maybe from off the bench, I'd just like something, just... Just, yeah, just a little just, nugget just for the cap, us. Just the cap, that's all we need. Yeah, that's all you need. Yeah, I like that. So, um, yeah, for everyone listening, and for your first-time listeners that have come off the back of uh, Stephen's following, hello. Um, we're hoping for Stats Corner to be a regular feature week by week, breaking down the games in a more analytical and stats-driven fashion. Stephen bringing the facts and myself bringing the uh, the beauty now, but uh, in in all seriousness, some uh, opinion and maybe some context. Uh, each week we'll look at where the games are won and lost, hone in on uh, some of the key players, and look ahead to the uh, next games. Does that sound like a plan? Sounds good to me. Fantastic. Well, I hope so, because we've been discussing it long enough. Yeah. So uh, let's crack into it. So let's cast our minds back to last Saturday. Awful, awful day from start to finish. Yeah. Crystal Palace, away from home. It's uh, not a great place to go to anyway, Selhurst Park, but uh, has to be done. 1-0 loss. Terrible circumstances at the end, obviously. But uh, what what to you were the key areas where we lost that game? Okay, so um, clearly we weren't good enough. Um, on the expected goals, we lost 1.43 to 0.31. Um, so so quite a quite a loss then on that one. So yeah, one, practically one and a half to nil, pretty much. Yeah, and um, 0.68 to 0.12 in the first half as well. Like we just couldn't get going and didn't improve really. Yeah. Um, Palace had 13 shots in our box. We had three in theirs. You're not going to score with that, are you? Really? Um, well, well, no. And also, I felt like we were. Every chance that we had, we were trying to shoot from distance or that we weren't able to actually penetrate their box at all. Well, Palace average shot distance was 17.36 metres and it was 25.52 for Aston Villa. That's, so that's know, well outside the box. Tells the story, yeah. yeah. So, um, obviously, the wingers weren't at it. They created 0.03 expected assists, which... Which is less than Andros Townsend for Palace, and he was on the pitch for five minutes. So. <laughs> well, that tells you the story, but that I, I think that tell that tells you how well Palace played, though. You know, their dominance came from their pressure. In that, I don't, I don't know about you, but I felt like just on a watching the game and watching it progress, we couldn't get it out from our defenders to our midfielders. The centre of midfield was completely trapped. We couldn't get the ball out to the wingers, and when we did, it was pressed directly in. There's a stat called PPDA for short, which is passes per defensive action, mm-hmm. and essentially, the lower the number is, the higher the team's been pressing. Yeah. And for Palace, that was 7.68. For us, it was 11.67. To give some context to that, an average sort of thing you'd be looking at is maybe 9 or 10. So right. Palace were really, really strongly onto us. Um, yeah. And the 15 minutes spell where Palace got their goal, we had 29% possession. <laughs> we just couldn't do a thing there. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that, that is to be expected, I guess, in a sense, when you consider how strong the possession game is now with dominance. So when you are dominant, you are more possession-minded now. I mean, I think that's the Pep Guardiola effect more than anything else, but um, that's maybe for another day. But after the red card, we did go into our shells a lot and start repelling attacks. So that's not too... Uh, that's not too crazy to think that we'd only have a third of possession. I think that the the crazy thing is more as to, even from the start, as you said, we never got going in the pressing that Palace had. It just completely wrong-footed us. Well, I think I've seen quite a few people say, suggesting Wesley isn't good enough off the back that he's got one goal from four games. But you look at, I'll just read you a couple of numbers. This is Go for it. players and the number of passes they made to Wesley during the game. Yeah. Grealish made one to him. Yeah. Two from McGinn. One from Douglas Louise, which is the same number of times he passed to Tom Heaton. Two from Trezeguet. Three from Jota. And that's it. That's all he got the whole game. Wesley has not had anywhere near enough service to him. Pe- pe- exactly. People have been saying that since the very start. The Tottenham game, he had no service. The Bournemouth game, any chance that he got, he had a defender directly on him, and it was probably from six yards out. The Everton game, we actually played like we had a player like Wesley, and we knew how to play him. And hey-ho, he got a goal. So that was a shot. That, that's a really, really good point, yeah. he um In the Everton game, he actually managed to, you know, find some space and exactly like exactly like you said we played as if we had a player like Wesley yeah you've got to put the ball into space you got to put, put the ball into space to him on the ground through balls I do think against Bournemouth as well there were a couple of times where he managed to find that little bits of space especially um you know the chance he made for Trezeguet yeah that one uh, and it just shows what he can do to you when when you use him hmm yeah, exactly. I think that he's got to be the most underutilised player that Villa have at the moment, of which is terrible when you think about it because he's our sole striker. Exactly. If, if you're playing one on top, one up top, you've got to use that one. Exactly. <laughs> or, yeah. or you're not going to win a game. Well, I mean, imagine last year if we didn't use Tammy Abraham. If we didn't use Tammy Abraham, we would not be having this discussion right now. Well, exactly, yeah. So, um yeah, m- moving on, I think that the uh, the other main point, which we haven't touched on yet, and I don't even think it needs a lot of statistical analysis, is the fact that we were restricted by yellows so early on. And then obviously that red card as well. Mm. I, I mean, we, we talk about the pressing, that was major. I, f- I think that that may have... That, that may have spooked us into having to go out and try and force the game, maybe through physicality, but... Either way, it doesn't allow for a lot of attacking later on. I'd say, obviously, we got four yellows uh, plus two for Trezeguet, but um, I felt quite a few of them were sort of players getting caught on their heels. Hmm. You know, Gilbert's yellow card might have been a dive, but he got caught behind his man. Yeah. Um, there was, I think, Neil Taylor got beat to the ball. There was two Trezeguets were from just being pressed into. So it. it it did come from Palace's pressure, but at the same time, they've just got to be more careful than that. Yeah. I I felt like it was a scrappy game. I felt like we were brought into a scrap and we lost. Well, I, I, I think you've got a fair point there, but we just, we never really did anything the whole game. Yeah. And, until the fabled last minute. Um, we 
we were just terrible. Yeah. Well, 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 well they. <laughs> well, no other way about Palace it. took their eye off it last five minutes. I mean, fair play to Dean Smith. He knew that there was no point in defending a one-goal loss, and we we're down to ten yeah. men, so he might as well go for it. It it should have paid off realistically. You know, cons- yeah. considering the fable last minute, which I think is a discussion for another pod. But you know, it's it's crazy to think that Palace shut down with five minutes to go, player up. You can probably imagine it with the amount of dominance that they had. But it does show you that when Villa do get that little bit of breathing room, they can actually play some good football. Though those last five minutes are actually quite good. So that was the game, but who do you reckon were the uh, the key players that sort of told the story for us? Well, on the more positive side, and you wouldn't really want this to be a positive side of your team, but um, Tom Heaton in yeah. goal, I, I thought he had a really good he game. Did. To He's be had honest. a good season already. He has, to be fair. Um, I don't. There wasn't really anything he could have done about the goal. No. Um, it was just a good finish from Ayu and. Uh, a bit of an unlucky deflection for Ayo to actually get his way through. But um, there was a shot from Milivojevic in Great the 40th minute. You'll, you'll <laughs> go far on this. Um, <laughs> 40th minute free kick. Um, Milivojevic cur- curved it round to the bottom right corner. That had um, 0.22 post-shot expected goals, which is basically... How likely it is to go in after the shot's been hit? Right, so that's that's um, like a fifth of a chance. Yeah, and uh, he Heaton got over to that and held it, and there was a uh, one in the fifty-eight, fifty-eight, sorry, um, also from Milivojevic, curve shot from about thirty yards out. Yeah, that that was the post to save. That was that was for the cameras. That that, that was um, zero point four four. Shot expected goals, so, so almost a one in two chance of it going in. Almost fifty percent chance of that one hitting the back of the net, and Heaton got across to that one so well. Yeah. Um, he's made a couple good saves, hasn't uh, he? It's time of it already. He's that kind of keeper. I've I found that you you're realistically one of two keepers, unless you're you know up there in like the top ten in the world. You're either a fantastic shot stopper, or you're a great box ranger. You know where you're able to command your box and distribute. You know well, and Tom Heaton's the shot stopper. He's the one that you would happily turn on your TV and watch him make save after save. It's an absolute joy to have someone like that back at Villa. David James reminds me of that in a sense. He he would come out with fantastic saves. He sort of reminds me of um, Brad Guzan's good season yes. at Villa, where he'd come out with some of those flying saves. Yes. Love um, that season. Hopefully he doesn't end the way of Guzan. No, although I always thought that Guzan had a bad rap. But uh, yeah, there goes a third mm. of my viewership. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm always the one that bats in his cage and I get ridiculed for it. It's fine. It's fine. So uh, yeah, Tom Heaton is your good. I tell you what, let's have, uh, let's have a goodie and a baddie, shall we? Who uh, I have a feeling I know who you're going to give us uh, the guy that let us down. But uh, I'll let you run it. Well, um... Should help out when I tell you that this man didn't end the game on yeah. pitch, and uh, and no one came on for him. <laughs> Trezeguet, um, he did not create a single chance all game. Yeah. Obviously sent off. He uh, lost possession seven times and made six accurate passes. <sighs> so he lost the ball more than he actually passed it. Did any yeah. of them actually go forward? One forward pass. All one game. forward. One pass all game. One of them. In the final third, just like 
not a single pass into the box either. We're going to have to cancel this out for the Egyptian version of the show, I think. <laughs> but no, you, <laughs> yeah, you're well, right. But... He's not... I, I don't think he's uh, had a great start either. So, yeah, I think this is rather indicative of uh, his season so far. I think that there have been flashes of excellence where, you know, from what we've been told of and there have been some flashes of it but in terms of keeping the ball distributing it into the right channels and creating chances I think it's actually been rather limited and it's you know he was involved in a scrap last Saturday and I think that he came out very much on the bottom. If um, you're a long-term follower of my account you'll know that I am a massive massive fan of Trezeguet I was really really excited yes. when that link came about and when we as, signed as him. was I. But He's not impressed one bit so far. I think um, there's a fair shout to say he's been the worst player on the pitch in every game we've played, if I'm being really brutal. There's, there's um, a shout. And I, re- I really, really want him to kick on. I think he will kick on. And um, I think he needs a bit of patience, though, to be honest. I think that uh, coming from the Turkish league is a massive step. I think it is a massive step. It's not like coming from the Turkish League to the Championship, and you know, even then we'd have said that that was a massive leap. But you're coming straight into the Prem. You know, it's it is a it is a massive leap, and maybe it will only take a few a few games, and all will be right with the world. But yeah, it's not been a good start for him, and I think that it was indicative last week weekend. I think that it kind of came to a point. You know, maybe. Maybe just sitting down and looking over the game, just having a few more weeks in England to understand the game a bit more over here, and maybe it will do him a lot of good. Well, yeah, obviously we'll have um, El Ghazi and Jossar out there next time out against West Ham, and it'll be interesting to see how they It go. will, because there's always competition for places. Yeah, if, if that goes well, I can't imagine he'll be installed straight back into the side. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, obviously, Jossar came in for one performance against Everton, was fantastic, and he stayed in. So Dean's clearly going to favour the players that are performing rather than the names. So well, exactly, yeah. Right. So uh, I tell you what, let's uh, let's do aside with the stats for a second and uh, take a look at what you actually think of the game from a more subjective point of view. Um, each week, I'm going to try and have like five questions or something like that of which should be able to give a indication of how the game went for you and i've called it villain var because of the fact that we just love var at the moment so uh yeah hoping that sort of catches on i've had villa fans voting on twitter um after the palace game on these and uh yeah so i'm gonna ask you them and i just want to a, a, a yes or a no or whatever the questions are so the first one do you think the Villa were worthy of a equaliser not at all week? not at all no stupidly enough I I mean I went with no as well but it was split I think that people think that because of the fact that we did have one that was taken away that we were worthy therefore but uh, no that was I I I didn't think so. I thought that we'd have been incredibly lucky to have gotten away with that. And I think that what we've discussed already has kind of proven that. So, yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a no from us. And it's a no from the Villa fans as well. 56% said no. Good to hear. Uh, well. Yeah. <laughs> well, as, yeah. <laughs> in terms of agreeing, anyway. Um, 
Secondly, now with the way that that penalty, that well, that dive yellow card decision should, should I say, went down, VAR actually couldn't reverse it for a number of different reasons. Uh, one being the fact that they were simply looking at penalty yes or no. So, does VAR need to be changed? Does it need to be expanded? You know, and I put three different systems here. Yes, for a more of a rugby TMO style system. Um, yes, in a challenges NFL style way or cricket style way, and uh, no, um, more VAR won't help. So those are your three options. Well, I'm going no again. To be honest, I think the issues with VAR at the minute aren't VAR itself. It's with the referees not knowing how to use it properly and that horrible, horrible rule change for the handballs. That's that's awful, basically. Yeah, I mean the handball. The handball rule does need looking at, and I think they will look at that relatively soon, actually. I, I know that the uh, the clubs have a Premier League meeting on Thursday, so they'll be discussing that and other things. I, I, I would love to see VAR in a more of a TMO style. I have to admit, when I first heard that VAR was coming in, I was really hoping it would be rugby style, where you would let a play go to its conclusion... And if the referee felt that there was something that needed checking, the referee would ask the video referee to help out. You know, there'd be a certain set of questions that they could ask, you know, goal, yes or no, for example, or um, could you check that foul? Something like that. And I think that that would have helped, but um, it doesn't look like I'm going to get my wish. And what really does work in the rugby sense, but not here is that you can actually see the decisions play out on screen. I thought that would have been quite good. Well, they said they were going to uh, do that, but I think there's two clubs where they um didn't have the screens available to be able to yes. provide that, so they couldn't do it for any. Do you know which of the two clubs? Just a quiz. It was Liverpool. Yep, there's one. And, oh, I'm not sure the other one, Norwich? It's Man United. Oh, really? Wow. Old Trafford doesn't have a screen. Only has a scoreboard. That's surprising. It's surprising, but it is the uh, the the bigger, older clubs that have the bigger, older stadiums. For example, they're the ones that uh, you don't really see mm. often. Too much room on seats, isn't it? See them out often. Exactly. Yeah. Um, right. Moving on. What do you reckon the standout issue was? And this is incredibly reductive. But uh, oh, and uh, by the way, fifty-six percent said yes, TMO style. Um, 25% wanted a challenge system, and only 16% said uh, said no to that. So uh, you're in the minority there, and I, as always, stand with the majority. <laughs> <laughs> um, standout issue: uh, you got the referee's decision, the and also the yellows and reds, uh, the wings slash lack of shape and ideas as one, and uh, palace pressure. Well. Obviously, it's very, very easy to blame the referee uh, because you know everyone knows what happened there. But um, I think it's just the performance, the lack of shape, as you mentioned, the wingers. We just we just didn't play our game really, and that that's what cost us. Yeah, I I, I agree. I think that it was. Uh, I, I think that a lack of wing play was definitely the uh, the main issue there. Half, half of the people said referee, but I'm with you. I'm with the 18% that said wings and the other 18% that said lack of shape. So I think that those together, mm. I think that those were the main issues. Um, should Trezeguet have seen red? 
Yes or no? Yes. Yeah. They they were the for me the two most certain yellow cards were both Trezeguet's. See, I said no. I, I I just don't think that the first ones are yellow. As in, I've seen if he's being consistent throughout the game, he has to book everyone. If it's that way, I felt like it was too harsh a first yellow. Second yellow, I get. First one, I didn't. See, I, I think Trezeguet's were yellows, and I think there were quite a number of Palace fouls that should have been given as yellows, uh, particularly Chiate's one on Grealish in the first half was mm. questionable. So you go to the more authoritarian route. This is going to create an interesting section over the coming weeks, I can tell. Uh, yeah, so um, that was almost split 50-50. Yeah. Most actually saying, yeah, 56% said yes to seeing red, which is uh, a fair bit of realism from uh, Villa Twitter. I'm quite proud of not, Villa not Twitter. Not too there. typical. Yeah. Not too typical of Villa Twitter. No. And uh, finally, where do you see us finishing this season? So the blocks that I put out, 1st to 7th, so that means qualifying for Europe, 8th to 12th, so nice mid-table. 13th to 17th, so flirting with relegation, and 18th to 20th, which is relegation. Well, first of all, I hope that nobody went for the first option, but I'm sure several several voters did. But uh, for me, it's the 13th to 18th, was it? 13th to no, 17th. 13th to 17th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, 80, you, you, like me, uh, 83% of people agreed with that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty. I, I definitely think there are teams worse than us. I think that we're going yeah. to turn some of this misfortune into points at some point. I think that we're going to start working ourselves out. Um, I think that we need to start playing more to the strengths of our team. But uh, I think it will come in time. Yeah, we just we just got to keep pressing and like working out our system. And as you said playing to the strengths of our players, which is something we did really well last year, but we haven't really seen so much this year so far. Yeah. Right, I tell you what, final section. Very quick look at West Ham then. Give us your main keys to the game for West Ham. Where should we be looking? Well, um, I think their, their crucial man is Seb Heller up, up top. Mm-hmm. Uh, only Raheem Sterling with 3.1 has more expected goals than Heller in the league this season. He's on um, 3.03, <laughs> which he's got three goals from. And Heller's played one game less than the majority of the league. He's um, the only player who's played more than 90 minutes to have an average expected goals of more than one. Right, so um, more than one a game. More than one a game. He's on 1.01, so he's only just more than one. But then the second ice is Sergio Aguero on 0.79. <laughs> that tells you the kind of class that he's in. But then after Heller... Um, the next highest is Lanzini on 0.75, then Issa Diop, their centre-back, with 0.56. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, a, a quick one as well. Um, I went and lived over in Frankfurt for a bit, so I've got a bit of a connection to Eintracht Frankfurt, as some people who follow the uh, the Twitter might be able to tell by some of the tweets that I send out. And watching Seb Haller was a fantastic experience. He, he is one of those that when he's hot, he's really hot, but... When he doesn't have the ball coming to him, when he's having to go out and actually make the attacks himself, he's not that productive. So he is one that needs feeding. But if you're able to feed him, he will find the net. He's a very 
gifted goal scorer. He's not one that will create chances out of nothing, but he is the kind of player that will score goals for you. I was uh, gutted to see that West Ham took him from Frankfurt, to be quite honest with you, but uh, very happy with the transfer fee. So, uh, yeah, if, if that's where the goals are coming from, how about the other side? How about the defence? Well, um, they're one of the highest presses in the league, uh, excluding the Man City game where they got absolutely battered 5-0. They've actually only conceded two goals. <laughs> They've got an average PPDA, which is the pressing data I mentioned before, yeah of 8.7, which is one of the lower values in the league. It's lower than the likes of Chelsea, Man United and Tottenham. Wow. It's going to be really, really, really difficult to play against that press. However, with us being at home, there is a potential to play through it. Yeah, so how, how, how do you think is the best way to, to get to Sebastian Haller, for example, to be able to stop the, the goal threat, but also then be able to turn turn the stats on their head as they were and actually get to um, to West Ham's defence? Well, crucially, 69% of West Ham's chance creation this season comes from Lanzini, Masawaku and Anderson, who that's attacking midfielder, left back and left mid. So we've got to stay really, really solid on the right side. And then I think we've got to target that side on the counter-attack because Masawaku will push forward. So we've really got to basically stifle their creativity along the left-hand side and with Lanzini. And then we've got to hit them where it hurts, fast and hard. Well, there, well, there you go, folks. It's Masawaku versus Gilbert. That's the main takeaway from this. So, so there you go, Masawaku versus Gilbert. That's the main thing to watch out for. We've run out of time as uh, Stephen's been taken into a dark room somewhere to uh, to play the <laughs> piano. Just before you go, though, Stephen, give us your score prediction and then a little plug for your Patreon for Villa Analytics. Um, I'll go for the one-one draw. And then, just as a quick plug, if you um, check out my Twitter, it'll be promoted on there. If you want to like get a bit more detailed, look into things, I'll be making some articles for small subscription pe- fee sorry, per month, um, £2 a month, and you can get, hopefully, a lot of good quality analysis to help with your fantasy football and with your general outlook on football. Yeah, and your page has been blowing up as well. It's been fantastic to see. We do need to see more stuff like this. I'm definitely a supporter and uh, hope that many more will as well. Right, that's it from us. Um, The Villain will be coming out with a podcast this weekend before the West Ham game for you all to enjoy. We've been away for a few weeks. Apologies for that. A myriad of different issues. It's part of the problem of having teachers as your co-hosts. But uh, nonetheless, they're back in school, which means that there's no excuse to be on holiday. That's it from me and Stephen. Thanks very much and up the villa.